Hey everybody and welcome back to the Enneagram Journey. I do not know Tony Jones very well, but I definitely want to know him more after being able to sit in on this talk with he and Suzanne. Today's episode is the first half of their conversation. And I think there are podcast episodes that we want people in our lives who are that Enneagram number to hear. And then I think there are episodes that people in our lives who are that Enneagram number want us to hear. And I think this is the latter. I think eights are going to be really happy uh, about a lot of things that he said and things that maybe they feel they can't say or we don't hear very well. And maybe we'll hear it from a different voice. And in this episode, we all get to find out why Suzanne wasn't allowed to speak at Christianity 21. We hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you can, tell your friends and leave a review and a rating on iTunes. And Suzanne will be conducting her world-famous Know Your Number workshop next week in Richmond, Virginia. So if you're able, please come and join us. Visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com for the information. And enjoy the show. Tony Jones, welcome to the Enneagram Journey. Thanks, Suze. It's good to be here. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. I've, I've thought a lot about um, people I interview and things that I want to say, but then I don't want things to sound like they're insincere or, you know, how that could be. You don't a, have to worry about gift that with of me. Mine. <laughs> I'm not worried about you being insincere. Or you, or I'm, you. <laughs> <clears throat> but I um, am honored that you're on the podcast. Well, we've been friends a long time, you yeah, and me. Yeah, we have. And uh, I've I've loved watching you grow. And I mean, I've done, I've I've led seminars in this very room yeah. for my own little side hustle deals, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just thrilled with everything you're up to and how much momentum it has. It's really awesome to see. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things that's happening in my world is that people who are proud of me are younger than me. <laughs> and that's so true. Too often, yeah. it's the other way around. Yeah, and right. your elders tell you how proud they are of you and how happy they true. are for you. And I'm kind of, and have always been upside down in this. Yeah. And it feels very honoring, actually, to be upside down in it. To, um, be aware that I've learned so much from and continue to from people who are quite a bit younger than I am. And you are, um, you know, you really had this like career renaissance fairly late in your life, which is amazing to watch. And it's rare, I think. Yeah, I did too. Most people are kind of by your age, kind of like looking for the exit hatch yeah. or whatever. And Or should be. Yeah. And I've talked... I mean, I've mentioned this to you before, but it was the same for Phyllis. Phyllis Tickle would have said the same thing about younger people. Yeah. And if you read John Sweeney's biography of Phyllis, he really thinks that you know, she had these distinct kind of moments in her career, chapters in her career. And that the last one, which was with the emergent church movement, because she was surrounded by young people who were planting churches and who were trying to rethink everything, it like gave her... 15 years of vibrant life at the end yeah, of her life. I think so, too. I, I, she's just my hero. Yeah. Period. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mine, too. You know, uh, a great moment. You know that event we went to in Memphis where we were all in a big room, like, mm -hmm. on the Thursday before, and yeah. we were all in a big circle, and yes. Joe and I kept saying, how do you think we got invited to be here? <laughs> I remember you asking me that at the time. <laughs> what are we doing? And I thought, who invited them here? <laughs> At one point, like things things in the room got a little weird at one point and a little contentious. And Phyllis called me over and I went over there and said, yeah. And she said, could you and Joe come sit over here by me? And I said, well, sure. You just want some old people over here with you? She said, no. Actually, Joe's just so good looking. I'd just like to sit by him for a while. <laughs> I said, well, I guess you're telling that me that you awesome. want us to come sit with you, but you'd like for Joe to be between you and me. And she said, yes, please. That's awesome. Isn't yeah, that great? she was great at stuff she like that, so and good. I do remember that. And that was just, you know, Doug Paget and I were running a conference for Phyllis and for her latest book, and we thought, well, with all these people coming to Memphis, like let's get together some of the movers and shakers in in a room for a day before the conference and sit around a circle and say, like, what's next? The emergent thing was kind of 
coming to an end and we were just trying to give people an opportunity to talk about what's next. So yeah, yeah that was a fun day. It was a fun day. So um, I'm, I've thanked you privately lots of times, but I'm going to publicly thank you again because in 2009 you invited me to come to Christianity 21. And I was so excited. And then we got on the phone and I'd already planned on what I was going to talk about for 21 minutes. And you said, well, actually, we don't want you to speak. Uh, and I said, why? And you said, well, Suzanne, Suze, I'm sure you said Suze, you, you really can't say anything in 21 minutes. I, I'm, I'm pretty mindful that you, you can't do it. So I want you to do these, you know, one, one-on-one Enneagram yeah. Uh, times. And I met everybody. Everybody was at that conference. And they yeah. all did a one-on-one with me. It was so great. I had yeah. a great, great time. But that was a, a big thing f- for the last 10 years of my life. Mm, mm-hmm. So thanks. Oh, yeah. I mean, my pleasure. And I'm so glad you were at that. I do I do vividly remember it. Did, did you have a booth in the... Exhibit Hall too. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Had a little yeah. booth, selling and, selling yeah. CDs yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and yeah I it think was awesome. they were. I hope they were CDs, but <laughs> tapes maybe. Is no, tapes? I think we were recording them on tape oh. and having them moved to CDs. <laughs> <laughs> that's some great quality yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. I do remember that. That was a great conference. One of the first conferences that Doug and I did together, and uh, all women speakers at yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that there were some really great moments, and yeah, that was a, that was a, a thing. So thanks. that was a thing. That was a moment. Yeah. That was a real yeah. moment when uh, all of us were together at that little Methodist church in yeah. Edina, Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah. Well, I teach a lot about the fact that I think eights are the most misunderstood number on the Enneagram. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree. <laughs> I still don't know if I'm an eight anymore. Really? Because I'm pretty sure you are. Um, I want to talk to you about that. I've really been looking forward to talking to you about that because I um, so much has happened to me, and I do wonder about my eightness. And I have one big question for you that we can get to at some point. Okay. Well, let me let's set the table a little. Yeah, bit. let's. So um, you know, you're one number all your life. I don't have much doubt that you're an eight, but I do believe this. I think when I teach that eights are the most misunderstood number, people latch onto the fact that they get it, that female eights are the most misunderstood number, Mm. but they kind of don't latch onto that so are male eights because there is usually a time in the life of male eights when they're all that, when they're Uh, in their prime, not meaning age-wise, but in a a pattern of uh, space and a place where eightness serves you so well and people like it and Mm -hmm. they like you when you're in that space until they don't. Yeah, that's so true. Here's what people want. They want you to be an eight when it serves them or their cause. But when it doesn't, when it's like in the interpersonal relationship or when they want to just like run their organization without a strong voice in it, then suddenly they don't want you to be an eight anymore. So they don't want both sides of the coin. They only want one side of the coin. And it's, you can't turn it off. You know what I mean? But I've been told, I mean, I was told two weeks ago it worked. I need to just turn it off. Dial it back. And I'm like, well, but you love it when I'm like this. Right. Because because I'm like this, I'm really good at my job. Right. They're like, but yeah, but you just can't be that way in meetings. Well, I'm like, well, then don't put me in meetings. <laughs> Can I not be in any meetings, please? That would be good for all of us. Oh, no, you have to go to meetings. You just can't be yourself in meetings. Yeah. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm 50 years old. I'm, I just... I don't have that much time left. I would just need to be me. I need to be, I need to be okay being me. Yeah. But boy, it's, I just run into it all the time. I think there is an illusion that uh, other numbers find themselves in positions where they feel like they're utilitarian, but eights don't find themselves in that position, and I think you're there often. 
Often, yeah. Because, like, um, so my day job now is as a, an acquisitions editor for a publishing house. And so you might guess that because of because I'm an eight, I'm really good at like calling agents and hustling with authors and getting good deals and ideas for books and honing them and, you know, aggressively kind of making ideas work yep. and w- make them work as books. And then aggressively helping authors learn what it really means to write and then what it really means to market a book. So like, that's great. That's yeah, so awesome. So good. Can you teach every other editor to be like that? But then when it comes to being in a, you know, like I said, being in meetings or filling out paperwork, you know, or like doing that work, the stuff I can't stand. I don't, here's what I don't do. I don't hide the fact that there are things I dislike about the job. Yeah. I don't just like keep my head down and mm-hmm. like fill, do the paperwork and push papers and go to meetings that everybody knows are irrelevant meetings and etc. I don't, I make no secret about the fact that I think that's a waste of time or whatever. Yeah. And that they don't like. So it's tricky. I, it's, it, it is, is tricky. really tricky. And it's um, tricky in an, I would say, unjust way, huh. not just an unfair way. I um, think that there's a way to be healthier in our numbers. So my way of being healthier, frankly, is to be more like you. And uh, your way, I think, is to be a softer you. Yeah. But softer meaning maybe uh, more approachable and maybe having a little bit wider space for taking in ideas from people who tend not to um, cause you to think new thoughts or, mm. you know, I, I, when I go into corporate America, which I don't do very often, but when I do and I say to eights, you know, you, you need to have meetings with people and let everybody say their idea. Mm-hmm. And eights look at me like, why in the world would I do that? <laughs> That's a total waste of time. Yeah, My idea is going to be better. And I keep trying to say, and evidently the way I'm saying it is helpful only till eights forget that I said it. And that is I don't think you can lead a group that you haven't joined. Mm-hmm. But I think the problem is groups don't let eights join. You know, I don't think it's a one-sided issue. I think it's two-sided because yeah. also eights don't want to join or they don't right. want to join right. on the terms that the group gives. Right. And the terms are whatever. Don't be confrontational or defer to everybody else's opinion or something like that. I really like what you mentioned at uh, the workshop last weekend when you're talking to eights about mutuality yeah. and mutuality in relationship and how it is both ways, but it would, like you talked about, when eights don't have the space for other people to follow through with other people's opinions and other people's agendas. That yeah, was the big that word. Was it. That was yeah. the big word, the agenda. Yeah. And, but I, I also think people are disrespectful of both eights and themselves by backing up when things get a little exciting. Yeah. Right? People mm-hmm. back up and they abandon their own ideas quickly enough that you think, well, if you don't feel any more passion about that than I do, then I should win. <laughs> we should do it my way if I'm the yeah, only one that has any yeah. passion about that. Yeah, and, and that's so triggering for an eight because this, like, I've been abandoned. And this whole, it, I cannot tell you how much I struggle with um, f- when a, a failure of loyalty. Mm. I cannot tell you how much I struggle with that. And it, I, cause I just assume everyone else is going to be as loyal to me as I am to them. My therapist, when I was going through my divorce, she had two nicknames for me that she used to kind of like jab at me a little yeah. bit, bust my chops a little bit. Yeah. One was, she's like, you're a great golden retriever. You know, you're like always there yeah. for the, you're, yeah. you know, like you'll bring the tennis ball back every time and yeah. you're going to like, 
you will never quit bringing the tennis ball back right. to the person. And then she also was like, I, I, she called me um, her biggest boy scout. She's like, you know, because, it, and you've already said a little trigger word for me with, um, that you think it's unjust because I don't know if there's, I don't know about justice anymore. That was a, that was a huge thing for me to let go of in my divorce because I thought there was justice. I thought there really was justice. And so one of the things that happened was like, we, we'd be talking in therapy and I'd be saying like, I have to go down to the, I'm so mad and I have to go down to the family justice center. That's what they call it in downtown Minneapolis for where divorces and child custody and all that stuff happens. And she said, Tony, okay, we got to stop calling it the family justice center because there's no justice. It's the family legal center. Like your idea of justice is not what they do. What they try to do is like make broken families work as well as they can by making child custody arrangements and alimony payments, child support. That's all. It's not about justice. It has nothing to do with justice. This, this ethereal concept you're holding on to. So just stop calling it the family justice. And I was like, no, there has to be justice. Yeah. My entire career is based on this idea that there has to be justice. She just would shake her head and say, man, not in divorces. There's no justice. <laughs> so that's been loyalty and justice are, I mean, we, uh, we can we can go deeper into those things, but those are two that have, I've struggled with, and I because I don't um, I I don't I I talk about these things, and I feel like people from other numbers they just don't get it, and and that's because other numbers don't see the world the way you do, yeah, so they don't see what you see. They can learn to get it, and I think people can learn to honor the way any other number sees. Yeah. But they're never going to have the experience, the way you experience that. Yeah. So I think there are two things that, that I'd like for us to unpack a little bit. And one is that I now uh, have this little thing I do sometimes when I'm going to teach for more than a couple of days where I talk about what I think each number wakes up thinking about. Oh, yeah. And okay. um, while they're brushing their teeth, you know. And one is that I think eights, uh, while they're brushing their teeth, think... You know that this though this world is unjust, and it's my job to make it right. And then I think people fall in behind you and ask you to make right the injustice in their lives. Mm. But it's curious to explore where they are when you're seeking justice in your own. Oh right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's tough because I've had to seek justice in my own life and I felt with the exception of, you know, basically one person, which is my wife, I felt no, I don't know if people thought, oh, he can handle it. Yeah, that's like, exactly what He can what handle everything thought. else. Or if they're like, why is he, I mean, I had a lot of people, including like my parents, my mom say to me, you got to just give up this custody fight. It's, you know, like. I don't think you're going to win and it's totally unjust, but you just yeah. got to give it up. Those words an eight cannot manage. I'm like, are you kidding me? An eight can't manage. It's unjust, but you have to give it up. It's yeah. like, that's not, I was put here to make things just. So I for sure can't give up the fight. So then, yeah. then justice was ultimately to be. In that case, I mean, there, been, yeah, there, I, 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 there are other cases that you're familiar with because sure. you've been part of my life, where justice never happened, yeah. and I lost things that I should, I know for a fact I should not have lost, and people took them away from me because they didn't want to fight. They would rather there. It was like you're radioactive because you're going through a bad time, and I just can't handle it. I'm like, there's nothing you can't handle. That's all we do is handle things. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's all eights do is handle that's things. That's right. That is exactly there are, right. There are other numbers who are like, no, 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 I don't handle things. Right. I don't handle things. And I and I think um, I'm, I'm convinced, in fact, that an awful lot happens to eights 
that is unjust because of a lack of understanding that eights need other people too. Yeah. So you know Joey is an eight, and she's 40 now. And um, she gets so weary of being expected to handle things alone. Yeah. I also want to talk, and I'm not, we don't need to be through talking about that. I just want to add in another layer. Sure, yeah. And the layer that I want to add in is your discussion about loyalty and about how important that is to you. Yeah. So, you know, the lost childhood message, according to Rizzo and Hudson, and I, 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 I struggle with those messages sometimes, but I also find them very helpful, yeah. is you will not be betrayed. And so it's kind of like you make your way through life believing that people are going to betray you because you never were convinced that they weren't. And I often say, and sure enough, there are people in life who betray everybody. All of us are betrayed. So eights are too. But when it's the thing that you've longed to have not happen to you, it's bigger, right? So like my lost message is you are wanted which is fascinating for an adopted child. Yeah. Right? Right. So people have to say to me over and over and over and over and over, I want you, Mm -hmm. in order for me to be able to believe it. But when people say, I won't betray you, that's not believable. It's like there's an inverse thing that happens there. So what is it you think an eight could find hopeful in an unjust world where... People just can't live up to expectations that we have uh, for any number, I think. But uh, there's not another number that's as strong as eights are. Well, one thing I'd say is going back to, you know, what we were talking about a few minutes ago, like my experiences of being in different work environments, whether I, where I work now or I've been on churches, st- staffs before, and I ran a couple nonprofits. The thing that I would love people to know about eights, one thing, is that eights push themselves so hard. Eights are indefatigable. That's I a think. word. Tell me that word. Indefatigable. I've never heard that word. Untiring. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In, in their ambition to make stuff happen. Okay? The tricky part for eights is that you go into a, an environment with other people and you're like, well, everybody, like, why wouldn't you push yourself that hard mm-hmm. to make stuff happen? Mm-hmm. Like, it'd be interesting to see how many, for instance, like how many world-class athletes are eights. Yep. That just because they just push, push, push themselves so hard. Right. They, they, they pick a goal and then they just push for it. The hard part for an eight is getting into other environments with other numbers and people just don't, a lot of people don't push themselves that hard. Um, and they're just not that ambitious in the same way. Yes. And it's hard, I think, for other numbers to come up, come to an eight and be like, why are you, what, why are you, why is everything so intense? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I got, there's stuff lust, I got to do. There's stuff I got to do. <laughs> lust is my passion. <laughs> so Courtney and I, my wife Courtney is a seven. And we have this funny deal where, I mean, you were talking about like what I think about when I brush my teeth. I'll, I'll finish brushing my teeth on Monday and I'll say, hey, Courtney, will you go to the 930 yoga class with me on Thursday? Because I've thought through my, my, all my workouts right. for the entire week. Like right. I'm going to lift weights today and then I'm going to do a spin class tomorrow and then I'm blah, blah, blah. And oh, it's yoga day Thursday. And she's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to have for breakfast on Monday. Right. Much like, why, why are you? Why are you on Thursday? But I have my whole week planned out. Yeah. And I have everything for my kids. Like, I have a Google calendar with all my kids' stuff on it, but yeah. it's all in my mind. Yep. And I know exactly who has to be where, when, boom, boom, boom. And she does constantly shower me with appreciation for that yeah. and say, like, I could not be a single parent or even a dual parent. Yeah. Um, but it is hard for me when other people don't 
meet those expectations. Yeah. So they're late for stuff or they blow stuff off mm -hmm. or they don't turn assignments in on time or, you know, uh -huh. and, uh, so I do struggle with that. I don't, it's, it's must somehow be tied into the loyalty thing too, because it's just what you do for other people. You don't let them down. Yeah. You just show up. And, or you tell them at the very beginning that you're not going to. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm not. And here. when people kind of stopped showing up for me, quote unquote, mm -hmm. it, I, I would lie awake in bed at night. I couldn't understand it. I mean, they would tell me why. It, it's basically like you are too, uh, it's too costly for me to be your friend. Mm -hmm. And I'm not willing to pay that cost. Mm -hmm. You're not that important to me. And I, I would just really, really, I, I would, I would lie in bed at night and think, try to understand it. I would try to understand it, to have compassion for somebody else's position in this exactly. situation. And I couldn't do it because I'm like, I would never do that. Right. So there was, there was a, a recent thing happened w with a friend of mine. And my response was, do you think I would ever do that to you? Mm-hmm. And this was a buy a text, you know, and a friend was like, I, I don't know. And I said, then you don't know me very well. Yeah. Because everybody who knows me knows I would never do what you just did to me. I just wouldn't do it. I, like to great personal cost and yeah. expense, almost blindly, I would be loyal to the people I've decided to be loyal to. And that is unwavering. So it's just, well, you I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm really, uh, I, I want to make sure people who are listening knows I'm not like trumpeting this as some great virtuous thing. Right. It's, it, it's, it's almost stupid. Thing. It's almost stupid at times. It's like, it, it's like you're undiscerning in your loyalty mm -hmm. to people. It's just an eight thing. And the reason it's an eight thing for people who don't understand is because eights don't sign up for a relationship with very many people. And when they do, they're all in. They're either all in yeah. or they're not in at all. You know, Joe uh, and I fight occasionally. <laughs> and um, I say, so, so this is a, I say the same thing you say, but from a completely different perspective mm. as a two. And I say, I would never do that. And, you know, he knows that I can go on and on from yeah. I would never do that. <laughs> he says to me, well, you're just a better person than I am. Which makes me crazy. Because he doesn't really think you are. Well, nobody in the world <laughs> thinks I'm a better person than Joe Spiel. So, right? <laughs> right? You don't think it. Nobody no. does. <clears throat> and I right. would say I would never do that. And then you point out that I've, in fact, done that. Done that. that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you would, because you have. <laughs> I, I, I think that it costs you more in terms of vulnerability as an eight to say I would never do that. And as a male aide, yeah. then it costs anybody else. And I think that's the piece that people don't get. People don't get what it costs an eight to share any vulnerability. It, it, they don't even get what it costs you to be vulnerable, much less to share. That's a good that. point. I think people don't. But I also, I just turned 50 a couple months ago. And, you know, I've lost some friends in this journey of the last 10 years um, because of stuff which I'm happy to talk about if you want to, to give your readers or listeners context or whatever. But um, I don't have many friends. I mean, surprisingly, because I look back to my days when I was like in emergent, you know, emergent village was mm -hmm. popping and mm -hmm. this is like mm -hmm. 03, 04, 05 in there. And then through the times when, you know, we, you, you were coming to Phyllis Tickle events we were doing or whatever. And there were just, I was surrounded by people. Right. Surrounded by people. And then this time came where I needed to like put my head down, get custody of these kids and raise them for 10 years, which mm -hmm. is what I've done from like age 40 to 50. And now my first kid is going off to college next week. It's crazy, right? I know, I know, I know, I know. And my second. And he's so impressive. Like I've been looking at He's the, super impressive. He is. He is impressive. Yeah. And he's. Yeah, he's impressive. He's been through a lot. All three of my kids have been through so much. And I'm so proud of them. 
And a year from now, my daughter will be leaving for college, and then I'll be down to one kid, you know. And I they come home. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and I think, uh, but I need to have more friends. I need more friends because I don't have many friends. Because a lot of people left me either because they didn't like they didn't just didn't want to go through what what I was going through or because then when I just had to put my head down and I was like not a public figure anymore and took a job at a publishing house and just had to like have health insurance for five people yeah. and do yeah. a do Stuff. a nine to five job you know yeah. and then those people all moved on to other things and I was like whoa what happened yeah. it's so um when I say let me ask you this. This, this is a question I've got for you. I always th felt like the characteristic that set me apart from a lot of other people around me was my ambition. That was it. I mean, I would hustle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm a hustler. And I, you know, I was in business with Doug Padgett for a long time, another eight. Super ambitious guy, Doug is. Always cooking up a new thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've talked about other eights that mm -hmm. we know. And one of my dearest friends is, is a pastor here in Dallas, Danielle Schroyer. Yeah. And she's somebody I can always talk about and be like, huh? eight, blah, 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 I'll text her. And she's like, oh, my gosh, totally. Same deal with my husband or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. with my relationships. But then I went through this hard time in which I kind of like, there were accusations made about me on the Internet and by my ex-wife, untrue, all of which were untrue. Um, but it caused a great deal of strife in my life. I lost vocationally. I lost everything, um, speaking book deals, etc. and took this job and have lived kind of a private life for the last, yeah. you know, half decade, closer to a decade. Um, now I'm 50 and kind of thinking what's next? Well, like, where do I, what, what do I do for my last 20 years of my working life? Yeah. So, but, but I, Wonder if I've lost that ambition. Yeah. Now, I know part of it is a young person has more ambition than an old person mm -hmm. a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Not maybe in the case of you or Phyllis, but most people, mm -hmm. like my parents, had less ambition at age 50 than mm -hmm. they did at age 30. Mm -hmm. So there's a natural, that's a natural thing. You become more sedentary, maybe more family focused or whatever. But I also worry because that seemed like the thing that set me apart was that I just drove, I drove myself, I pushed myself so hard. And I think, can I reclaim that for whatever my next chapter is in my life? I worry that I can't. That's my worry. So that's why I'm like, I'm not, I'm not as much of an eight as I used to be or something. I'll joke around with my wife yeah. and she'll be like, you know, your number never changes. <laughs> and I'm not saying it changes. It's just different. It's, it's different. different. It is different. So I think uh, we've missed a real important question. Okay. Uh, not you and I. I think we culturally, particularly, I'm not sure other belief systems have missed it perhaps as greatly as we have. And you know I love Richard Rohr and I love his work and yeah. um, I love Falling Upward. And I think that there's another thing after that. So Joe and I have started talking about, because of our own experience, uh, life being divided into thirds instead of halves. Oh, okay. And the question for our generation, and we would be the first generation to ask the question because longevity has changed so yeah, dramatically right. between our parents and us. But what what is yours to do in the third third mm. of your life? Mm -hmm. And once you begin to ask that question, then you can ask the question, what is mine to do as a redeemed eight yeah. in the third third of my mm -hmm. life? Because the strength isn't gone. The creativity isn't gone. The lust for life isn't gone. The energy isn't gone. But maybe now you have um, some other characteristics that you've learned through pain mm. and some other tools to take with you into the third third where with a different expectation on the return of your investment in other people, mm. you still invest what you know and what you would suggest and what you think would be good for people yeah. and what you think might be helpful. And you just care a little less if they take you up on it or not. Interesting. 
it's like you kind of put out, well, this, this is what I've learned and yeah. this is what I have to offer. <clears throat> yeah. And if you want to pick that up, call me. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, if that's yeah. not your thing or that's not a direction you want to go or then that's okay too. Yeah. So uh, we had a chance to visit for about an hour before we started recording, and it's already happened with you and me. Yeah. And you put out, you know, what What about this? Yeah. With a different energy than you should do this. Right. That, that's changed for me. Well, let me just tell for you. For sure. Because imagine having that conversation with me 10 years ago. Exactly. What it would have been like for you. Yeah. Well, based on where I was as a two ten years ago. Yeah, too. based on where I was. So it's so interesting. I've been way more bossy it's, than yeah than suggestive. Yes, yeah. and now I'm way more bossy than suggestive. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah. very interesting to me that as a two and an eight, we s- switch places depending on whether or not we're in stress or insecurity. Yeah. yeah. So you have available to you when you're really secure. Lots of two behavior, gifts, ways of seeing. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in stress, I have eight. Yeah. And my way of teaching that is to say that you can't take care of yourself without the number that you go to in stress. And you can't experience holistic healing without the number that you go to in security. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I would propose that at 50, approaching what you're going to do with the third third, mm-hmm. having come through a big transition. Yeah, for sure. Um, married to an unbelievably wonderful and beautiful woman who yeah. loves you like I love Joe Stabile. And um, I think the third third's going to surprise you. I wonder a couple things on that. One is, I wonder if eights... So we should do a, like a dissertation on this. Are eights more prone to be divorced than other numbers? And, um, and, and, and as, as a corollary question to that, because you bring up Courtney, the, as we're talking, like for the last half hour, what keeps coming up to my mind in, is how accepting my spouse is of who I am. And how graceful she is uh, um, with my mistakes and my eightness. She's not intimidated by my eightness, even though she has has every reason to be. But to the same point I was talking about before, the ambition and just like, I just always feel driven, driven, driven. Um, That takes a toll on a marriage when one partner is driven. Mm. Like I'm up at five in the morning and I'm writing you know, and mm-hmm. then I'm, I go to the gym every single day mm-hmm. and like everything about my life is driven, which also, I mean, you want to talk about parenting, like that has a, that's a thing. Oh my gosh. All right. We'll come back to parenting. Let's stick with you and Courtney. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the fact that she's also an aggressive number. Mm-hmm. So as a seven and an eight, you two are doing life and she too, uh, has a floating agenda that she's committed to. Mm, mm-hmm. You have a defined agenda yeah. that you're committed to. Her floating agenda is just joy. Mm-hmm. What's the next <laughs> per- thing that's going to make me happy? Personal satisfaction. <laughs> when you were talking earlier and you had the, hey, do you want to do this next Wednesday night or Thursday? Yeah. We were talking to her. I was like, oh, man, that as a seven, why, we don't need to really commit to that today. <laughs> exactly. Let's, let's, let's get through the next, let's get through today. That's what I'm saying. She would never, she'd be like, yeah. I don't even know if I want to do yoga this week, mm-hmm. much less go to the 930 class on Thursday. Like ask me at 830 yeah. on Thursday. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to teach for a minute. You guys stay right here with me. So when we talk about orientation to time, a lot of people don't understand orientation to time, so this will be confusing for them. So for threes, sevens, and eights, your orientation to time is the future. That doesn't mean that you all think about what you want to do on Thursday. It does mean that you orient yourself to what hasn't happened yet. Your orientation is what could be. Yeah. 
and your sense is that you can make it something that you can and and, and yet eights not sevens like joel and courtney eights are the only people on the enneagram I don't, i'm <laughs> hesitant to even give you this line <laughs> 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 You're afraid I'll use it. Well, <laughs> maybe I, I'll paint it above our above our bed. In the yeah, you might. Let's bring don't it. put it there, but <laughs> paint it by the front door if you want hey, to. We're always looking for new tattoos. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But the the line <clears throat> is that eights believe they can affect the world without being affected by it. Oh, right. That's very true. And that's a problem. That is a problem. And. You're on the other side of that now. It's like this nasty head cold I have right now because I seem to think I can go run a junior high camp yep. for a week and then fly to Texas. For, like two hours after the buses hit the church parking lot, I was in at the airport. Right. Fly down here and like, I can do it all. Yeah. I for sure think that. Like that's what I think, at least subconsciously when I'm brushing my teeth. And there's a I difference. I can do it all. And for sevens... It's not, I can do it all. It's, I can do the best parts. Yeah, right. <laughs> Cherry picking. So it is, I can do it all, the best part. All the, I can do all yeah. the best parts. It's just another step further. Yeah, and I'm like, doing it all means also doing all the crappy parts. <laughs> yeah. Of like parenting or marriage mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk just for a second because we've got orientation of time on the table. And the more we differentiate, the more people learn. So we share friends in Laura and Tate Addis. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of folks know Laura because she works with us. Sure. And she's a three, which puts her in y'all's um, stance. And I'm going to come back and talk about the fact that you're feeling repressed. And I'd like to talk to both of you, Joel and you, about what it uh, has taught you when you've brought up feelings. So I'm going to come back to that. Mm. I'm going to stick with orientation of time for a minute to say. Laura's orientation of time is the future, and Tate is a five, so his is the past. Mm. So she was traveling with me, and I did this big teaching about orientation of time. So she went, she went home just ready to work on that, right? So she and Tate went out to dinner. <laughs> and she tells this great story, and I can't tell it as well as she does, about the fact that um, Tate said to her, what'd you do today? And she couldn't remember, <laughs> but she knew what she was going to do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, right. Yeah. And she said to Tate, what did you do today? And he talked about what he had done the day before. Interesting. And she said, and then we just looked at each other and he didn't know how to talk about what he was going to do, and I couldn't remember what I had already done. And she said, so I just looked at him and said, how's your hamburger? <laughs> because she said, I, I didn't have anything else to say. And they recognized in the, at that yeah, dinner yeah. what a disconnect it is when your orientation to time is not the same. Yeah. And Joel has to kind of drag me into the future because my orientation to time is we're sitting here right now chatting it up and I'm good, right? I, right. I, I don't. I don't even know necessarily what the rest of today looks like for mm. me. And frankly, you know, all that calendar you keep in your head, yeah. I can't remember mine. Yeah. I can't. I have to have it visually around my desk so that I see it over and over and over because I can't even remember. <laughs> Meanwhile, last night I was at dinner at this barbecue joint and there was a band playing and a song came on and the woman who was at, sitting at dinner with Courtney and me said, oh my gosh, this, this song was at our wedding. And I said, oh, that's awesome. Now, where was your wedding? Was it like indoors or outdoors? And she said, you were at my wedding. Oh. Oh. (laughs) I was like, I'm so sorry, but I have no memory of your being at your wedding. (laughs) Wasn't there. I'm glad you remember it. but But I could tell you. I could tell you what time Tanner's flight to Boston is next Wednesday. That's right. That's right. You know, and when we have to leave the house to get there, right. and I've already thought through all that. But once it's happened, I don't, uh, I don't spend much time thinking about it. All right, so let's talk about that now from the aggressive stance point. Um, it, I know that you don't like to talk about the fact that feelings are repressed. 
Feelings don't exist. They're not repressed. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to win right now. You're I'm going to win. win. You're going to win. I am going to win because what has tempered you, which I think is going to be great in the third third, by the way, <laughs> okay. is lots of feelings that you couldn't rearrange, move to the side. Intellectualize. Feel, right, right. That's what I would mainly do. Yeah. I would intellectualize yeah. feelings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did not feel the feelings or process them emotionally. I would process them intellectually for sure. And both of you in relationship to your children, Joel, you can talk about it on and on about the fact that the children are your touchstone and Whitney for your feelings. Like Courtney and Whitney and your children for both of you as a seven and an eight are the place where you don't set feelings aside. You aren't afraid to feel them. And they make you better with everybody else's feelings, I would say. I think with the children and with Whitney, those are the places where you, I can't set them aside. Like the children have to have, and I want to give it to them. I think that's the big thing, is that I have space to give them feelings. And I want to do that. And, man, just listening going to start following you a lot more because I went through, I'm divorced, Mm -hmm. hated it. Didn't think there was a lot of justice there also. So listening to, I've never heard you talk about all that Mm -hmm. and listening to that from a different perspective. And my kids were a little bit younger that it is okay. So for Nate and I don't know who I'm sure you've heard Joey say that she has this much feelings and the warm and fuzzy. And that's, do you know that story? No. So is that, yeah, so she says to this person, long story short, they're wanting warm and fuzzy and friendship yeah. and all yeah. that. And she just says, I don't have it. I've got this much. It's for my kids. It's for my husband. Yeah. And that's the end of the story. And I feel, I feel similarly, similarly that with feelings, I've got kind of some warm and fuzzy. Yeah. Random. It's sporadic. It's not, it's not scheduled. But as far as I've got this much feelings and... Right now in my life, I've got more capacity, a larger capacity for feelings than I had when I was younger. But still, for the most part, that's for 100% for the kids and for Whitney and then the family. But then it's hard for me to uh, have emotions and feelings for things that I'm not connected to. Like I just, and then that's where, so relationships are hard to, to come by for me because I don't meet people with any feelings just because uh, it sounds awful, but is it, it's not that I don't care, but it's that I kind of don't care. Don't care. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah. I want to care. I just don't. So that sounds, that sounds so terrible, well, but it is true. And yeah. I don't care. And I'd rather, and then here's the seven part of it. I'd rather be doing this now yeah. and whatever this is. The thing that I would say to both of you is that because I know the Enneagram, I know that both of you always have my back. Yeah. I know that I can always count on you. And if I need to work through feelings, I know not to call you. It's like there's not... There has to be some respect, I think, in Enneagram awareness to not ask for something from people that they don't have to give. Yeah, I, I remember I had a senior pastor uh, who was my boss, and he was, I'm, I'm looking back, you know, it was pre-Enneagram for me, but I'm pretty sure he's an eight. And I remember him in my office one time, we were kind of talking about how similarly similar we were as pastors, and it was why he didn't do any pastoral counseling, which people in the church took some offense at that the mm-hmm. senior pastor never had counseling appointments with people. But he was like, I just, I can't do pastoral counseling because by like the second or third appointment with somebody, right. I just want to grab them by the shoulder, shake them and say, then just stop doing that. That's right. Like the, that destructive behavior, because he lived this very disciplined life. He, the dude, he was in great shape. He never ate dessert. I mean, think of this. He's a pastor at a church at all these potlucks and mm-hmm. going out to dinner with Those parishioners. Those the good old days. Yeah. And you're on the expense account and he never had a dessert I, in, in the seven years I worked with him. I never saw him. Like that kind of discipline mm-hmm. he had, 
And every morning he would come to his, he would close his door in the study and he would spend two hours translating Karl Barth out of the German into English, wow. which of course it's already been translated. Yeah. He had to he do just, it on his own. He had to do it on his own yeah. to keep his German sharp. And then he would do some New Testament Greek translation. And then he would open his door a crack at 10 a.m. And that meant once the door was open a crack, anybody who knock, knock needed to come in and talk to him mm-hmm. about anything. Like he led this very, very rigorous disciplined life. But, but, but the funny thing is the reason why I didn't, I, I had this line that I would use for people about why I wasn't going to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And that is when I, even when I was in seminary in the early nineties, I would say, um, well, my pastor at home that everybody loves is named Jeff and every, and this is the, this is the, like the, the line you would always, Oh, Jeff, he's got such a warm heart. Mm-hmm. And you didn't even want a warm heart. No one ever said Tony, like Tony, what a big heart that guy has. They'd be like, <laughs> Tony, he's really smart or something. You know what I'm saying? Not what you, not what people wanted in a pastor. Yeah. So I was like, well, I can't be a pastor. I would say, I think I'm too much of an asshole to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so I, I tell you though, not everybody wants the warm heart. I know. If I'm going to a pastor, like, okay. yeah. Yeah. I don't want to spend. It's like talking with my parents. I want to talk with you about five for five minutes about something. And then at five minutes we need to be done. I don't. Yeah. And I would want the same thing from talking to a pastor of... You know, when Joel was growing up, he'd say, when he was in college, like when he was still growing up, but in college and out on his own, he would call me and he'd say, I have something to tell you, but I really don't want any feedback. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't really want to know what you think about it. Yeah. I don't need any advice. I'm giving you information. That's exactly, yes. that's We're not exactly. going to process this. Yes. Right, right. And, and I need a kind of simple answer here, not one that you have to break down. Yeah. Just... Yeah, and I had these. I was. I, I've already mentioned that last. I spent the last week. Like, I kind of got pulled out of youth ministry retirement to run this junior high camp for the last couple of years for my old home church. And I'll get in there on the first day with all these high school age counselors, and I'll say, "Look, here's the deal. I don't care if you like me. We have to run this camp, and it has to be safe for middle school kids, physically and spiritually, a safe place for these high, for junior high kids." And it has to be a lot of fun. And I don't, I'm not, this is not a popularity contest for me. I don't care if you don't like me. Which they're like, oh, they've never heard like a pastoral type right. figure talk right. like that before. Right. So I, I have a lot of things to say. One is, I too am not real. The Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. Music is provided by Solvay Lighthouse. Professional photography is courtesy of Courtney Perry. We invite you to visit the Enneagramjourney.org for more information, and we welcome your questions and comments. Thank you for being with us today.